0: So um, I've got a buddy, let's call him Frank, so that the FBI doesn't go after him. Um, I was hanging out with, uh, with my buddy Frank and he was working in a machine shop and I love watching uh, people uh, work on lathes, you know, because any machinist will always take big things and turn them into smaller things in very, very precise ways. So I was wor- watching him build a robot. It doesn't matter where, um, because he might need counsel legal counsel. Um, and so I was watching him do all this stuff. Well, to finish off the night, it's like two o'clock in the morning, we should be in bed, but we were dealing with sharp things that were spinning really fast. And, uh, he needed to cut a small square of plexiglass. It was probably like half inch thick plexiglass. And I don't know if you've ever worked on plexiglass, but, uh, the tool of choice is not really a dull table saw without a guard on it. And I think table saws are like the most dangerous thing in a machine shop. They might not be, but they are to me. So anytime I'm working on a table saw, I'm worried about like, okay, my weight is on my feet, not on my hands because I'm terrified of falling on a table saw. So he starts cutting on this plexiglass. And so I move out of what I thought was the line of fire Does anyone feel like where this is going? So I kind of move and I engage my safety squints. Have you ever done something dangerous and engage your safety squints? They're not as effective as safety glasses, but, you know, we're guys and we don't really obey the rules. So Frank starts pushing on this piece of plexiglass through this dull table saw without a guard on it. Wild guess what happens. This thing shattered in a billion pieces. And it is amazing how far shards of plexiglass will fly through the air. So we heard this, boom! And you start doing the, do we need to call the ambulance or the morgue check? Have you ever done something dumb and just kind of, we're good. Okay. I had some uh, cuts, you know, like pulling little pieces out. I didn't lose my vision, thankfully. So I'm fine. I have not erupted with anything red. And so I look up at Frank, It's like, I think I'm all right. And he looks up, and this isn't gonna to be too gross, but he had a two inch shard sticking out of his cheek. And he was just like, and I don't deal well with that stuff, so it is a miracle that I didn't pass out. So he fixed the problem and we got some super glue out and we went home and we stayed home. And we didn't work on uh, machine stuff that next day. Um, in the fall of 71, uh, the US Navy funded a uh, psychological experiment on uh, Stanford University's campus. Got a bunch of college students together, what could possibly go wrong with that, um, and randomly assigned them one of two groups. One group was going to act like prison guards, the other group was going to act like prisoners in a fake prison. No one had done anything wrong, half of them were prison guards half of them were prison, uh, not prison students, prisoners, students that were prisoners. Well, six days into the, um, into the experiment, it was a two-week experiment, they had to shut the whole thing down because the guards were abusing the prisoners. And when they would put a toe out of line, they would have to punish them and bring them back into line. And the prisoners were like, we are students, we didn't do anything wrong, don't backtalk me. So eventually the prisoners formed a riot to try to free themselves from the voluntary psychological experiment. Well, the, uh, the guy that uh, um, was organizing the study is a guy named Philip Zimbardo. Dr. Zimbardo was the warden of this experiment, and he stepped in, and him with the prison guards, they quelled the riot and punished the students for rebelling. And only one person, they had 50 people that were overseeing the study, and only one person, happened to be Dr. Zimbardo's girlfriend, said, Maybe, this isn't the healthiest way to conduct a psychological experiment. Hey, I think that we're damaging people. We need to stop this study. And Dr. Zimbardo was like, well, if they would just do what I'd tell them to do, we wouldn't have to punish them. Oh no. So they shut the whole thing down and it's one of the most famously um, messed up psychological experiments that we've ever done. So I say all that to say that, you know, sometimes we think that we've got our physical best interests in mind. I know what I'm doing. If someone would have come up to us when we were cutting plexiglass and said, "Maybe go to sleep and then do this in the morning when you're thinking more creatively, or maybe you should be wearing safety glasses." What would we say? Tell me my business. I know what I'm doing. You ever tried to tell your husband that? I know what I'm doing. Okay. Well, you dial 91 on the phone <laughs> just waiting. There are times that we feel that we know what's best for us mentally. But we can make really bad decisions. These were doctors of psychology that were damaging these students intentionally. And they just they let the experiment get away from them. They didn't know what was best for the people that were around them. But there are times that we try to protect ourselves physically, we try to protect ourselves mentally, but we will allow anybody to build up a relationship with us without ever having them pass some test. Like, do you feel that Your kids need to have like tests for their friends. It's like, all right, you have applied to be my son's friend. I need you to fill out this background check. I know parents usually do that, but we will start relationships with people that are the dumbest things in the world. They're incredibly dangerous. They're like us cutting plexiglass with a dumb table saw. They're like us uh, doing a psychological experiment and getting uh, in over our heads. We don't ever say no uh, to our relationships. And, but the funny thing is the, our relationships are probably the most important thing that we've got going on. We're about to go into 2018 dramatic pause. We're about to go into 2018 and raise your hand if you've got a resolution for 2018. We've got a few people. I would venture to say that most of those have to do with jobs or physical improvement. I need to eat better. I need to exercise more. But I want to say maybe I want to offer you a new resolution to say in 2018, we're going to improve our relational health the standards that I have for relationships are gonna go up in 2018. That's one of the things that I'm doing. I'm not going to be spending my time on things that I don't need to be spending my time in. I have a limited amount of resources. And in 2018, I am going to channel those resources to creative areas and not just waste them. When we uh, work on our finances, we are aware of our income and we are aware of our expenses. Are expenses a bad thing? No. Is me going to Ralph's Donuts inerrantly a bad thing? No. If I spend $1,000 at Ralph's Donuts, it's a bad thing. But it's not Ralph's fault. It's my fault for mismanaging my resources. Amazon is not the devil. If I mismanage my resources, I can blame Amazon for my own immaturity. Have you ever done that? Where I am is your fault. Nope they might be an idiot but where you are is because of a mismanagement of my relational emotional mental resources so i would love for us to sit down today you can bring out your phones you can get an offering envelope or you can wait till you get home what happens if today or this week we made a list of all of our relationships none of us are you know the most famous people in the world i don't think some of us are pretty famous but we can make a list of all of our relationships. So the first thing to do for us to ever improve where we are is to take a detailed inventory of what the situation looks like now. If you ever wanna get out of debt, you've got to figure out how bad it is. And uh, Liz, if you can put up that first slide. Um, The first step in order for us to improve anything is to figure out where we are. Take a detailed inventory. And then after you get your inventory, after you get your list of friends, try to assess that list. Like when we talk about our finances, we know our income and we know our expenses. Who in your friendship circle is restoring your resources? Who is pouring into you? After you get done hanging out with this friend, do you feel encouraged? Do you feel that your relational bank account increases or do you feel like they're a drain? And to say it's not a bad thing, you are, you are a restorative force in my life or you are a drain in my life. And again, are our financial experience or expenses inherently bad? No, Amazon is not the devil. If I mismanage my resources, I can get into trouble. And so the people in your life that are a drain on you are not the devil, they're not the antichrist. You might wanna hit them with a shovel, but they're not bad. It's one of the reasons why you're on this earth is to fix problems and most problems come in the form of people. So you will bump into people that are a drain on you, but we have got to learn how to manage our resources because God's given us the ability to solve problems, but he has not given us the ability to solve every problem. So we need to look at our list and figure out where our income is and where our expenses are uh, relationally. And the third step is to make an action plan. If we never change anything, nothing will ever change. And I know that that sounds dumb. But if we don't make a plan of attack, we will never improve anything. So after you get done with your list, after you assess your list, make a plan of action. How in the world are you going to increase your relational health? All right, I wanna read a story. This is out of Second uh, Chronicles 18. It's in the Old Testament. It's not Second Corinthians, Second Chronicles. Uh, starting in verse one of chapter 18. Jehoshaphat enjoyed great riches and high esteem. Well, who wouldn't want to be like Jehoshaphat? And he made an alliance with Ahab of Israel by having his son marry Ahab's daughter. Have you ever heard of Jezebel in the Bible? Well, this is Jezebel's husband. The Bible says that Jezebel and Ahab's daughter was 10 times more evil than Jezebel was. So this guy married his son off to the she-devil. Can anyone have that conversation over the holidays? So verse two, a few years later, he went to Samaria to visit Ahab, hanging out with the in-laws. What could possibly go wrong? Ahab prepared a great banquet for him and his officials, they butchered great numbers of sheep, goats, cattle for for the feast. Then Ahab enticed, that's never a good word. If anyone, anyone ever entices you to something, it's like, that feels gross. Ahab enticed Jehoshaphat to join forces with him to recover Ramon and Gilead. Uh, Ahab said, will you go with me to Ramon and Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied, why, of course, you and I are as one. My troops are your troops. We will certainly join you in battle. He married his kid off to someone that was 10 times more evil than Jezebel. And then when Ahab was like, hey, I've got a great business interest. I've got this gold mine. It's going to be incredible. Jehoshaphat turned into an idiot and was like, sure, your people are the same as my people. His people were not the same as their people. Uh, The kingdom of Israel was worshiping the devil and the kingdom of Judah was worshiping God. And so uh, Jehoshaphat added, but first let's find out what the Lord said. So Ahab said, yeah, I've got 400 prophets. Let's, Let's ask them. Wild guess which God those prophets served. Jezebel had already killed all of God's prophets. So you had 400 false prophets show up in front of Jehoshaphat and they said, like in my head, I'm sure it didn't happen like this, but in my head, it was all 400 people answering at the same time. Yes, go into battle. Surely God will grant the king victory. It's kind of creepy. But Jehoshaphat knew enough to go, well, do you have somebody that worships the God that we could ask? And Ahab says, yeah, there's one guy, but I hate him because he never says anything good. Have you ever been in like a friendship with somebody and like in retrospect, you've got multiple signs that you might've needed to have left a long time ago? Well, Jehoshaphat almost loses his entire kingdom, already lost his son and almost lost his life by going out to eat, with some idiot from across the street. I'm not saying that everybody across the street is an idiot. I'm just saying that there are people in our lives that we need to have in our lives. And there are people in our lives that we do not need to have in our lives. We can lose everything that we've got going on. It doesn't matter how blessed you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are. We can lose it all by making one bonehead relationship. So if we can lose everything by that one relationship, maybe we should study a little bit before we start hanging out with somebody. So let's go back to our list. We've got a list of names, a list of relationships, and we've got on there, are they feeding into me or are they withdrawing resources from me? Now, most of the people in our relational list are going to be a combination of the two. We have like a give-receive transaction. I tell you to make your bed. You don't fuss at me. Does that ever work? Do you ever tell your kids, hey, I'm giving you a place to say, will you be grateful for me? No, you're yelling at me. Awesome. Great. Maybe that was just me. So how do we relate to the people that are blessing us? How do we relate to the people that are feeding into us, that are pouring resources into our life? Those people that when you get around, you're like, "Ah." you have people like that? how do we relate? The first thing that we do is we're grateful for it. We know how they are blessing us. They know, we know how they are influencing our lives. We know how they are uh, pouring into our resources. The first step is to go to them and say, hey, I realize what you're doing for me. Thank you. What a novel concept, gratitude. The second step, how do we relate to the people that are blessing us, that are pouring into our lives? We are aware that they are working on limited resources just the same as we are. And so we don't dominate their time. We don't become possessive with more of their resources. Hey, you are really amazing to me. You poured into my life. Oh, you made my day so great. Let's hang out every day for the rest of our lives. We don't, those are creepers and we don't turn into a creeper. So we are aware that that person has other, uh, other needs, other resources that they need to be managing and we are thankful for the blessing that they give us and then we release them for the rest of their life. And if we're nice, they will come back and bless us again. It's like hanging out with a cat. We don't look at the cat. We just feed the cat and maybe the cat will bless us with its presence one day. But if you try to hold on to the cat, receive my love, cat, the cat will claw your eyes out. So we release people to go into the rest of their life. And the third way we relate to people that are a restorative force in our life, we learn from them. Hey, what you just did felt like a magic trick. How like my whole day was ruined and then you showed up and now my day is not ruined. Tell me how you did what you just did. And then I apply it to my life so that I can turn around to the people that are drawing resources from me And I can learn how to be a more efficient resource giver. I can learn how to be a better friend, is what I'm saying. I learn and then I apply it uh, in my life. Well, that's how we relate to the people that are a restorative force in our life. How do we relate to the drains in our life? Again, are they the devil for draining you? No, they are not the devil. It is your responsibility to manage your resources effectively. It is your job to be the, the solution to problems. I show up in the morning and I am a need meter. I am a problem fixer. And some days I have enough resources to fix one problem and then I've got to go back into my treehouse house and, and recuperate. The first way that we deal with people that are a drain on our resources is we set effective and healthy boundaries. And so much of the time in the church, this is where we ruin it. Because we feel that we're strong-armed into giving everything that we've ever got. You have got to set effective boundaries when it comes to your uh, emotional resources. Would you ever tweet out your bank account info? No. Well, I wouldn't. I think it would be a bad idea to tweet out your bank account info. Because one of your jobs as a family or a, like a person in a family, is you have got to manage your resources so that your kids have something to eat. Now, what happens if you go out and you bless every homeless person that you ever see with a $1,000, and then you come home and you have nothing to give to your family? It's mismanagement of your resources. Generous, nice. I'm sure a lot of people are thankful for that, But one of your jobs is to manage your resources so that the people that are closest to you are provided for. So it's the same thing when we're talking about our emotional, mental, and relational resources. There are some times that we have to set boundaries up, not to keep people out, but to keep our resources in. I've gotta make sure that I've got enough emotional, mental, relational resources to take care of my core. And then out of the abundance that God has blessed me, I reach out to the next group. And out of the abundance that God has blessed me in that group, I reach out further. All right, hey Liz, can you put up that next slide for me? If you don't mind, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, so we set healthy boundaries. What's step two? Have you ever told anybody no, ever? Has it ever turned out well? Hey, can I do this? No. What do you mean I can't do that? None of us like getting told no. I don't care if you're 107, none of us like getting told no. And when we get told no, what we will do is we will drop down into manipulation. If I don't get my way by asking for it, I'm going to drop down and I'm going to try to manipulate you. If you ever told anybody no and they started trying to guilt trip you or strong arm you, you better do what I'm telling you to do. When I learned this, uh, this second point, it changed my entire life working in the church. I do not give out of manipulation or guilt. I give out of love. And your sob story, or the fact that like your grandmother's hair caught on fire and then all of a sudden the house fell down and then I had a goat that ate my clothes, that sob story, I have compassion for it, but it doesn't influence my desire to give because I don't give out of manipulation, I don't give out of guilt, I give out of love. And the fact that you're going through a rough time in your life doesn't increase my love for you. So my desire to give doesn't increase. And this feels a little weird. I give because I love, not because you force me into it. And when we set up healthy boundaries in our lives with our friends and our family members, if you've never had a healthy boundary and you put one up, I promise you, you will experience kickback in the form of manipulation. Your kids will kick back against healthy boundaries. Your parents will kick back against healthy boundaries. What do you mean? I can't just come over whenever I want to. I'm sorry, mom. Like, we're our own family. You need to call before you show up. Well, you, but, you know, and you get called every name in the book. When I have to tell people no at the church, hey, I need help with this. I'm sorry, I don't have it to give. Well, this is your job. I'm sorry, your guilt and your manipulation is not going to influence me to give, all right? So what happens if they still don't respond to those healthy boundaries and they keep on trying to manipulate you? What would happen if someone showed up at your house and said, hey, I need to borrow a cup of sugar? And you said, sorry, no, not I can't, I have sugar, but I'm gonna keep my sugar for the family. No, I can't get you a cup of sugar this year. And they broke a window and came and stole a cup of sugar. You would call the cops. You would call the cops to come forcibly remove a thief from your house. Are you gonna get like mad and yell and scream? Are you gonna guilt trip that thief? Nope, I'm gonna call the cops and they are gonna throw you in jail. The third way we respond to people that are a drain on our resources, that do not respect our healthy boundaries, is we have got to have the courage and commitment to kick toxic people out of our lives. You have a limited amount of resources for 2018, and I promise you that people that don't healthily respect your boundaries do not deserve your resources. There are a tremendous amount of people in the world that are in need. We will never have enough resources to meet every need out into the world. So what we do is we manage those resources. I take care of my core group. And when people try to get manipulative, I don't treat them like the devil. They're not the antichrist. They're just a drain. Hey, let me teach you how to effectively relate to my boundaries. You don't just show up at my house at 2 o'clock in the morning. Some will. Some will. My core group can show up at my house at two o'clock in the morning. The person off the side of the street can't because our entire lives are levels of intimacy. And when you have somebody that keeps coming in uninvited into a deeper level of intimacy and they refuse to take no for an answer, you have got to kick those people out of your life. But that's not loving. That's not what Jesus would do. Yeah, it is. How many times did Jesus walk out of a town and just go, I'm going to go over here. How many times did Jesus withdraw to the mountain? How many times did Jesus run away from his 12 disciples? Often. Jesus was often found alone managing his resources and he had the Holy Spirit on him without measure. And he would call himself away to rest, to fill, him, fill his heart uh, with the Holy Spirit again. He would Focus on making sure that he managed his resources effectively, and if Jesus had to manage his friendships effectively, I promise you that we need to manage our resources effectively. Now, this is not this does not give you uh, permission to be angry or mad at everybody in your life. Sometimes when we tell people no, it's hard, and so we have to build up. The courage to say no, I've got to work myself into emotional frenzy, and in order for me to tell no, we have to have a fight about it. That's not what I'm saying. We're not gonna get passive aggressive about our no's. We're not going to get aggressive about our no's. We're just gonna say, no. Hey, I I need to talk to you, Um, my world's falling apart. Nope. What do you mean no? My world's falling apart, yep. Your world was falling apart yesterday. It will be falling apart tomorrow. I'm hanging out with my family right now. I'll I'll call you Thursday. You don't love me. I do love you. I said I'd call you Thursday. I'm not running away from you. I'm not treating you like a, a weirdo. I'll call you Thursday. But my problem is here right now. Sorry, my resources are not here for that problem. My resources are here for my core group. And when I have time to focus on you, I will focus on you. And if that person refuses to take no for an answer, I can't talk to you. Sorry. We're going to apply our resources in 2018 in healthy and constructive ways. And I promise you, at the beginning of 2019, you will thank me. You will throw flowers at my feet if you kick toxic people out of your life. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and stand up, and then we can go eat. This is kind of um, odd to say from the stage, but I just want to say, please make good choices tonight. (laughs) We won't go into what that means, but please make good choices. Um, You can call the cops for rides home if you need a ride home. Just saying. Please tell your family members that. Um, Father, I need help. Father, that you would pour courage and commitment into my life that I would have the ability to manage my resources effectively, God. That I don't blame you for not giving me enough because I've improperly managed my resources. God, you have blessed me abundantly. Give me wisdom on figuring out where those resources need to go to change the world. Lord, I pray for 2018, God, that we would have the ability to change Cookville, to change all good, Lord, that the resources that you have poured into our heart get channeled to the most effective means possible. God, open our eyes to see the need that's in the world that is our job to go, uh, to go solve, Lord. God, I pray that you would bless every person that's represented by this body, God. God, that you would protect them from the snares of the enemy, God for every plan that the enemy has for us uh, in 2018, Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes, that we would be able to see the traps laid by the enemy, God, so that we wouldn't become ensnared, unaware, Father. God, that you would open our eyes, God, and when we boldly walk into a trap that I know is the trap, God, we ask for mercy and for forgiveness, God. For most of the problems that I get myself into, I did it on purpose. I intentionally messed up my life. God, we ask for restoration in 2018, God. Every relationship that was needlessly broken, God, we ask that you would give us the opportunity to restore, to apologize. But at the same time, every relationship that we lost in 2017 that we needed to lose, God, thank you. God, that you would bless our friends, that they would be influencers in our life in a positive direction and not a tool of the enemy. Lord, we bless you in Jesus' name, amen.